If you look at the title of this week's sermon, it says uh, Life at Grace. I've been waiting months for today. Okay, Life at Grace. That's what it's about. We're talking about Life at Grace. Uh, it, I just, I, I've been waiting because I just wanted to say thank you. This is an awesome church. I love this church. I hope uh, you've had an experience where this church uh, got to love you. This is this weird things are happening here. It's awesome to be here. Did you know our church is celebrating its 50th birthday this fall? 50 years old. Yeah, good stuff. If, listen, if you're visiting today, excuse me, this is kind of a, this is a we're in between uh, Bible books that we're going to be studying. We'll be looking in the Proverbs very soon. And this is a standalone sermon, and we haven't talked like family talk in a while. And so that's what we're going to do today. And if you're visiting, enjoy. Uh, we'll have communion together later. And, and maybe actually this could be very helpful. You might learn more about us in this 30 minutes than you would any other time in three weeks. So here's the idea. There, there's a feeling of awe here at Grace, and I, I, it's very difficult to describe or define, and mostly I just want to stay out of the way. I, I don't want to be the brake pedal in what God is doing at this church, and I, I want to tell you mostly today, here's the thing. I'm going to just tell you stories about who we are and what makes us work, all right? That's, I guess that's the goal. Five years ago or so, I started noticing people coming in and saying, you know, there's something about grace. What is the thing? And I, and I didn't know what to say to answer them. And so two years ago, I said, you know what? I'm going to start looking into this. I'm going to try to put vocabulary words because I can't explain it or I can't understand it either. After a fair amount of research, I think this is a major factor. I'm going to need help from a guy named Bill Walsh. This is the atmosphere, the vibe, kind of the feeling you get around here is from leadership that we learned from Bill Walsh, or stylistically. Anyway, it's very similar. In 1979, Bill Walsh took over the San Francisco um, 49ers. It's a football team. It was the worst team in the NFL. No, people said it was the worst team in professional sports. In three years, they won the Super Bowl. In just three years. And when they asked him, did you have a vision, you know, to win the Super Bowl? Did you have a vision for the timetable of turning this, the, the fastest turnaround in, in the history of professional sports? You know what he said? No. He had no vision to win. That wasn't part of what he did. When he took over the team, they were 2-14. and 14. That means they won two games and lost 14. His first year as a coach, they lost 14 games again that season. He tried to quit. They wouldn't let him. And he just had, it was just, the, the, the team was, they, they were okay with losing. And so what, 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 what he did, you know, 18 months after he tried to quit, he's in this picture holding up, you know, being carried off the field and holding a Lombardi trophy. What, what what he focused on was not the vision for winning or a vision for a timetable. He wasn't even focused that much per se on winning. What he focused on, what he called standard of performance. And the standards of performance were, I guess his vision, if you want to call it that, was that the players played their best. He could control that. And so there was no more sitting during practice. Everybody had to work their hardest every single practice. The coaches had to wear ties. Uh, the, the linemen had 30 different drills. The, the, the routes that the receivers ran were worked out to the inch. Practices were, like, litigated by the minute. Now, it wasn't about control. If you think this is about control, you're missing it. It was about the pursuit of excellence 
for every individual player. And he just figured, you know what? The score would take care of itself. He couldn't control that. The fact that he had the fastest turnaround in professional sports, couldn't control that either. That wasn't up to him. There was no grand vision. So much so that his assistant coach that first year that he was coaching and they were losing a lot, his assistant coach complained to the owner uh, that Bill Walsh didn't have a vision for winning. And so Bill Walsh fired that coach. And that coach missed out on three Super Bowl rings. Here's, is it, like, is it any wonder that the philosophy of leadership that Bill Walsh we're talking about is written in his book, and it's entitled, The Score Takes Care of Itself. Look how it's a, it's a paradigm. Look how it says, my, my philosophy of leadership. The score takes care of itself. In, his, in what's called a coaching tree, his coaches that became head coaches that became head coaches, 16 appearances in the Super Bowl, 13 victories, because they didn't have a vision to win. The score takes care of itself. They had a vision for the players playing their best. It's a paradigm. And if uh, you could summarize, I guess, styles of leadership simply, You'd say there's two, there's two styles, big vision out there and the people that serve it, or the people are here and they have value and let the score take care of itself. The vibe at this church is just Bill Walsh, let's be the very best we can be and let the score take care of itself. We value the the, the believer, every believer is a minister. Watch, watch how in this last book we looked at, look how Paul kind of has this Bill Walsh school of leadership. Uh, 128, it says in Colossians, it says, it is Christ whom we proclaim. Here's how he's doing all his work. He's warning everyone. He's teaching everyone in all the wisdom so that, here's the purpose, big vision. No, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone mature in Christ. I guess that's the vision is just, this is where we're going to toil. This is where we do our work, everyone mature in Christ. Simply put, around here we say it a lot, I'm just the pastor, and, and you're the ministers. And we want you to do excellent ministry, and we'll just let the score take care of itself. If you need a big vision for Grace Covenant Church, it's etched in glass behind the curtain, and it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And it says to love your neighbor as yourself and pursue that like with excellence. That's what we do here. And we expect everyone to play their part and we expect everyone to do their best in playing that part. And so that's like one of the elements that makes grace, grace. Another one is we try to follow the pattern of the early church when it's just getting started. We're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2, and this is, this is the first church. Actually, this is the first church, brand new, right, just was born, and it has four, uh, what would you call them, uh, standards of performance. These are the four standards of performance that they're going to continually be working on. Here it goes. Here it up on the screen. It says, they continually devoted themselves to these performances, the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayer. 
Okay, they're continually devoted. This is what they're going to drill. These are the 30 drills of the linemen, these four things, okay? The apostles' teaching. Well, that's, that's Bible study, right? That's what we do here. We believe in studying God's Word here, and we, we want it to apply to our lives. Guys, how many of you guys were here for the Resolve series? See your audience participate. That was just in January, right? And, and we learned... We learned some profound truths that, that is part of the life of a Christian in their, in their growth in Christ, that they're going to hit a wall. And we heard this tragically that you can be at the wall for years and decades, but growth happens when you plow through that wall somehow. You have to trust God in whole new ways. We learned how to trust God in even the way that we've been made and the way we've been hurt. We learned that if you want to have fruit in your life, sweet, abundant fruit that looks like this, then there are seasons in your life where this has to change to this. And, and I remember the first time I slowed, showed these slides that part of being a fruitful Christian is being pruned drastically. And when we showed that last slide, at least from here, from an audio standpoint, I heard people groan. We learned that sorrow is part of growth. That's a good thing. We just finished a book called Colossians. And we talked about, we learned about, we're committed to this, right? Continually committed to uh, learning about the majesty and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel that he brings us, and then the power of that gospel changing our very identity, right? You guys know the chant. We, were, we, we died with him. Everything is with him. We died with him. We were raised with him. We were hidden with him. He is our life, and we will be glorified with him. And that, that changes the way we view all of reality. We were continually devoted to Bible study. And the second thing it says here is continually devoted to the, the fellowship, the fellowship. The word fellowship there uh, literally means what we have in common. What do we have in common? Saved by Jesus Christ, have a new identity in Jesus Christ. And so while we all have kind of weird, different backgrounds and ethnicities and socioeconomic things, we get together in the, high, in the busy season at this church 50 times per week. We are continually devoted to the fellowship. In the slow times, it's like 35. The word in Greek for fellowship also means to share in common. Generosity. It means, it means to give. The word generosity has the same root as koinonia. And the idea is that we share our lives, we share our souls with one another. Uh, two weeks ago, we had a leadership dinner for the people that uh, are, are caring for our adult communities. Those are our adult Sunday school classes and friends. You need to join one of those if you don't. They are churches. They are little churches within this bigger church. And they love and care for each other. You know, each class kind of had... It's just a story of, of living deeply in each other's lives and helping someone grieve or helping someone cope with a difficult life situation, helping someone navigate through bashing through a wall. It was a, it was a beautiful night of expressing this continual commitment to fellowship. We do that here. Please, if you're not part of that, you should try to be part of that. Teaching, fellowship. The third thing it says is the teaching or the breaking of the bread. And it's a definite article. It means that. It means the Lord's table. We'll do that in just a few minutes, but it's talking about reminding us of our past with Jesus, with him, 
in our future with his return to glory. Teaching, fellowship, the table, right, the communion. And then this last one, it says prayer, right, prayer. Continually devoted to prayer. Can I tell you a really creepy story? You like creepy stories? It's kind of, it's kind of scary. It's kind of creepy. If you don't go to church, and it, this is going to be especially creepy. Um, uh, 1993, January 1993, Grace Covenant Church, we were, uh, th- that pastor was teaching on the book of Ephesians. Okay, that's about the, the glory of the bride of Jesus Christ. It's about the church, okay, the church. And it was, it was right to life or sanctity of life Sunday. On that, on that Sunday, a woman came up on the stage with a gun to try to stop the service from continuing. Okay, true story. It's part of our history. If you don't know that part of our history, that's a good thing not to know. Um, it's not, not a good Sunday here. Okay, 20 years later, 2013, Sanctity of Life Sunday, we're in this auditorium, worship center, and we're learning from the book of Ephesians. And one of our missionaries is in out, from out of town, and she saw people doing things in church that were way past disrespectful, sacrilegious, just evil. And then she, she looked around, and she kind of had what I would call a vision of of God's word being taught from up here, but somehow, so like a spiritual barricade keeping it from being heard in the, in the seats. And so she could just, she could like see that there was a power here that was keeping people from hearing and growing. Well, she's a friend of mine, and she, she creeped me out with that story, and I thought, well, you know what? Uh, misery loves company. So I, I had uh, her come to the leadership, the elder board meeting, and I, and, and she told those two stories on the same Sunday, you know, 20 years later from that first story. And uh, we, the, the, the leadership, the elder board, we, we grieved. We were um, very concerned because we had this, uh, we grieved because we had a cavalier attitude about the spiritual battle that takes place in our lives. I mean, the Bible says we're, this is not a war with flesh and blood. It is a war of principalities and power, that there's a spiritual war going on. It happens all the time, but here on Sunday, too, and we, were, we grieved that we had a cavalier attitude about prayer, and as leaders, our responsibility to be in, in prayer. And so, continually devoted. Soon after that, we started meeting every Sunday now. The, the elders come in, and they meet in the bride's room before anybody gets here, and they pray for us. They, they pray for our souls. They pray for, for protection for us. They pray spiritual prayers upon us. And you know why? Because they are continually devoted to prayer. Those are the practices of, of an effective church. Bible teaching fellowship, the table, and prayer. Just let the score take care of itself. Watch what happens. Next verse. Everyone kept a sense of awe as many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. A sense of awe. I think that's what's happening here. I was, 
I was roaming around the house the other day, and I just shouted out to Melinda. I said, there is something happening at our church. I don't understand it, and I can't explain it. She goes, well, well try to help me. What, why are you kind of freaking out so much? And I said, because on any given Sunday, it's, it's a very strange thing. On any given Sunday, there's such a diverse response to what happens here. We have, we have people, a lot of people in our church that attend that haven't opened a Bible or haven't even had a Bible in their lives. And, and they come in and they tell stories like, okay, wait, wait, you know, like everything is brand new because everything is new to them. And they're like, okay, tell me that story again about that, 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 that dad, he has two sons and, you know, he runs off and then he comes to his senses. Then he comes back and receives all those gifts from his dad. I go, yeah, it's called the prodigal son. Right, that story. I love that story. I'm the prodigal son. And then, and then on that, like a same Sunday, I will hear from some 35-year-old church attender, you know, been going to church, book that thick with a bunch of, you know, bulletins in it and notes and highlighted, and they'll say, you know, the story of the prodigal son? I get it now. I was stuck at the wall of ingratitude, and I'm free. We had, a, we had a gal here, a, few, a gal, a, a lady come a few weeks ago, and, and she had some serious responsibilities back in Dallas where she lived, and she said, I'm not going back to Dallas until I find out what's next in this Colossians. And so I just want to tell you, I want to come to church here at Grace. She, does, she lives in Dallas. I want to come to church at Grace. Then I'm going to get in my car and race home because I love this book on Colossians that we're studying together. She said, I've studied Colossians a lot. I've been to a lot of Bible studies. She had the Bible that was that thick with a bunch of notes in it. And, and friends, for, for that sort of thing to be happening regularly and, and often, it's, it's, it's un, very unusual. When we did the Resolve series in January, you know, the most feedback we got, the most positive feedback we got was from people that went to Unstuck in 2009. It was the second time they heard it. So we have these brand new Christians or new followers of Jesus Christ, new understanding, they're going, Pow. and then we have these older believers that have been around and they go, you know, you know how that happens? I know how, you know how that happens? It's a God thing. That's how it happens. <laughs> you, can't, you can't make that happen. We are victims here. I do not know what's going on, but I'm in awe and I don't want to get in the way. I'm just here to tell you some really great stories. Next verse. All who believed, all who believed were together. And, and, and they had all things in common. There's that fellowship again. Sharing things. They began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with everyone so that, so that uh, as anyone might be in need. That first church, that was a generous church. This church, this is a generous church. Family, just a family talk, but I want to tell you some three amazing little stories of the generosity of this church. One, it's finance, it's math. I'm using round numbers to help you from, keep fall, from falling asleep, okay? So, in the last five years, our, our income has been over $30,600,000. That's a lot of money. For a church our size, that's mind-bending. Second story. Uh, we just put the bow in on the, the, what's called a capital campaign, the fundraiser for our Live Oak building down at the bottom of the parking lot. Okay, this, is, this might be new to some of you where you have to raise money to do that within the congregation. You do that through pledges. People pledge that. We had people pledge $7 million towards that building, all right? 
Now, you can ask the experts, bankers or in the church business, they'll tell you if you can hit 80% of, of those pledges, you're ringing bells, you ought to write books and go on tour and tell everybody else how it's done. We didn't get 80%. Uh, we, we got 91%. Yeah. Wait, there's more. Because some people didn't pledge. They got here late or they didn't fill out the card or wherever it might be. And so, no, we got, sure, we got 91% of the pledges from the people that pledged, and we didn't get the $7 million that people pledged. We raised $7.7 million, 109% of pledges. That's on, yeah, wow, that's right. And that's on you. Give yourselves a hand, for goodness sake. Yeah, that's awesome. Third story of generosity and grace. This year, our cash flow we approved, uh, this, this past year just ended, was going to be $300,000 in the red. Because, and, and we have cash reserves. We weren't going to be irresponsible, but that's just the way it was looking. But because of very thrifty living by our, our staff and because of very generous giving, we did not end 300 in the red. We ended 200 in the black just this year. Those are good stories. Great stories of generosity. I want to tell you about where our future is and how we can have that future, okay? Future of where we're going, how we're going to get there. So family talk, continue generosity. If we continue our generosity, we're going after three things. One, we're going to give our pastors a raise. Pastors have not had a raise in two years. Not uncommon when you do a building campaign and things are really tight and so the They've had to kind of endure the responsibility of that. And listen, and you look at these men and women that are on our staff, and you know they didn't go into this to get rich. No one goes into ministry to get rich, okay? No one. Okay, some people do. He's not on our staff. He's on our staff. We have great pastors they do great work. They work hard. We need, to, we need to get them to market levels. We want to pay them the most we can at a market rate. Okay? We got to fix that. All right? Good. The second thing we're going to attack is we need more, we need more pastors. The, the growth of our church attendance has been steeper than the growth of our hires. So to put it another way, hug a pastor today because this pastor that hasn't been, had a raise in two years, he's working harder than he should be because there are, some of the, the, the staff are just overworked. We, we have to hire more because our growth pattern uh, is requiring that. So we need to fix that. We're going to pay our staff better. We've got to make up for lost time. We're going to hire more. And third, we're going to attack this debt. We're going to attack the debt. For each of the last three buildings that we've been involved in, the office across the street, this beautiful worship center, and the Live Oak building, we raised almost everything we needed, and each one we were like about $2 million short. So two, and then four, and then six. So we're $6.6 million in debt right now. Okay? And so for every dollar of interest that's going to the bank, we could be sending around the city of Austin or around the world. And so we want to attack the debt. As a matter of fact, this year, actually, this month, because we had that big delta between not 300 in the red, we had 200 in the black, we wrote a check for $300,000 going after that debt. We want to keep going after that debt. It'd be great if we could get rid of it in five years, okay? Those are the goals. That's what we want to do. How does that happen? Standards of performance. 
just go, just make people as do, have people do the best they can do, right? Watch, watch, listen for the vocabulary of standard of performance, kind of, you know, again, a Bill Walsh, when you look at this list in, in 2 Corinthians. See how he's just coaching with a philosophy like that? But just as you excel in everything, in like blocking and tackling, in faith, awesome. In speech, you're doing great. In knowledge, yep, complete earnestness. And in your love for us, killing it. Hey, could you see if you could excel in this grace of giving? Could you excel in this grace of giving? Let's talk about you know, excelling in this grace of giving. And here's what I'd like to, here's the application part. I'd like everybody that calls church grace their home, okay? I want everybody, we're going to go through four ways that we can go into the future super strong. Pay staff better, more staff, and kill this debt. Okay, four ways. And, and as I describe them, just kind of take notes. And then at the end, in your, in your quiet time with the Lord, sometime in the next couple of days, I want you to like circle at least one of those where you're going to get in the game. Okay? Here's how to attack the future. Here's the practice of performance we're going to try to get better at. So for some people, it's one, start giving. One, start giving. Some of you kind of new to church and whatever motivates you to start giving regularly, that'd be awesome. It might be just raw self-interest. Okay, that's not ever mentioned in the Bible, but you might just kind of think in your head, hey, I like the way the church is providing for me or my family or I, I love air conditioning. Those kind of things. You say, you know what? Maybe I should just, in raw self-interest, Try to keep the doors open here and become a regular giver. If you look at the Bible, that's never mentioned. The Bible always chains together generosity with gratitude towards God. When a person understands the holiness of God, the love of God, and the forgiveness of God, that always ends with, with, with generosity. And, and so... Maybe, maybe that's the one you could put in your notes and say, start giving, and that's the one you write later on, start, because of gratitude for what God has done in your life, okay? Start giving. Some of the people here at Grace need to go to the next level, and that is to give more. Start giving, give more, and that's that whole excel in this grace of giving. And I, w I would really propose this, that you go, to, you go to what's called the tithe in the Bible. Now, when we're talking about the Bible, giving at 10% is the lowest percentage ever mentioned in the Bible. And, and it's a scary place to be giving regularly. And I remember the day that we did it as a family, my wife and I, and we just said, this is it. We're just going to have to get scared and trust God for this 10% all the time. Now, I was in a very expensive graduate school, and Melinda, she was banking it as a first-year social worker. <laughs> and... Well, <laughs> And one of the, it took me a while to enjoy giving at this level, but it was so freeing when, and it was fun. It was freeing and it was fun because I was enslaved by money and, and, and needing it for safety. And then it got fun because I love a good fight. I really like fighting. And it's one of the reasons I moved to Austin. Uh, we, we weren't going to go to any city in the South because there was so much like Bible already. And we just thought, but not Austin, <laughs> bunch of hippies, you know? Um, <clears throat> and, and this, this has been a way for us to like stay in shape spiritually because we just wanted to keep giving. So that might be a way, you know, to give more Excel. Another way you can go to is, is what's in the Bible called free will giving in the old Testament. 
free offer, you know, free, uh, what's it called? Yeah, free will giving. And this is when in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they would, and it's in the New Testament too, but they would give all the different ways they could give. And then every once in a while people go, but I want to give more, you know? And that's how, that's how Melinda and I are living now. It's really a blast because in April when we do taxes, it's the time, because I'm not very good with finances, uh, I never know how much we're giving. And so when we do the taxes, there's this guy coming out of the back room with all the paper and said, guess how much we gave over 10 this year? No, no, no. It's more than that. No, no, no. And we get to celebrate that we are free and it's, and it's just a blast. So some of you, okay, might start, write the word start on your sheet of paper and then go after that. Some of you might write the word Excel and get in the game with tithing or free will giving. Here's the third thing I want everyone to pray for. It's just easier to pray for and apply. The third thing is called gifts of unusual size. Remember rats of unusual size? Anyone? No? Good grief. Okay. Gifts of unusual size, or we, we'll call ghosts, gauss, gauss. And g- gifts of unusual size, you pray for your church, some, some person in our church to give huge gifts of unusual size because that sends us to places we couldn't go otherwise. The reason there's a building at the bottom of the parking lot called the Live Oak Building is because a family had a huge financial thing happen in their life, and it wasn't like we asked for gifts of unusual size. They said, if we gave you this, we're going to trust that you to re- be responsible for it. And that pushed that building plan two years ahead of schedule because a family said, you know what? And I, listen, they gave us a gift that was worth twice their house because they could. And look what happens of gifts of unusual size. We can get stuff done. We can get crazy stuff done. So could you make a decision to start giving, Right to excel in giving, pray for gifts of unusual size. And then this last option, it's kind of strange, it's called a, a faith promise. A faith promise, and the reason you want to put the word percentage there in, in quotes is faith promise is when you say, look, if I have some kind of weird additional income or gift, I'm going to give this percentage. The promise is the percentage, and the faith is I'm going to just trust God that he's going to bring me money from some crazy source. And if he doesn't, I don't have to give anything. So, look, like, like my income stream is pretty steady, okay? I can count on it, I hope, uh, month to month, okay? And so I would say, yeah, I'm going to give 50% of any weird income. Like, I've got a rich uncle that's going to give me money or some kind of kickback from the government, and like that would happen. But if it happens, I'm giving 50%. It, there's no obligation to you. Kind of the faith part is an obligation to God. If he brings that in, you'll give that amount. I want you to put down the percentage now because... Later, it's harder to write the check. You write, listen, you write 90% on there, you're going to win the lottery. I mean, God's just going to throw it in your face, right? And then we're going to all watch on TV, you know, where you say, what are you going to do with all this money? You mean the 10% left? Because I'm going to give 90% to the church. So that's what faith promise means. Maybe that's the thing you circle on there. You say, you know what? I've got a weird thing going on in my life, and I'm going to do a faith promise. If I get this much, I'm going to give that percentage, Okay. Start giving. If, we, if some of you guys start giving, if we excel in giving, if we have gifts of unusual sides, if, if we have faith promise percentages come in big time, friends, we're going to go. It's, it, it'll be insane what God does in our church. Austin needs us to be a healthy, generous church. That's all there is to it. Let's go back to the story. It's kind of fun. 
And they were praising God. We do that all the time. Having found favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is what happens when you present everyone mature in Christ, complete, whole, and leave the score alone. Just let the score take care of itself. This is what God brings the people. We feel like God brings people to our church. That's how we explain it. Okay, we've been growing any week to week. It's 7 to 14% on any given week from the same week a year before. And we've been doing that since 2010. So here's the thing. Honest to goodness, I've been waiting months to come here and tell you these things about this church. I've been waiting months to say thank you. You guys are amazing. I love this church. I hope this church has had a chance to love you. It is such a joy to be part of a church that promotes and encourages and drives towards holiness. It's fun to be part of a church where we, we thrive on telling people they can have a great relationship with God only through the gift of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. I love being part of a church that pushes people to understand that they grow in their life with Christ through the power of God's spirit working miracles. You know, grace transforms. Austin needs us to be a great church, to continue to be a great church, where awesome is part of the vibe here. I think it is. I think it will be. Would you, would you seriously pray about one of those four ways that you might be able to, like, maybe move? Would you do that?